ಶ್ರೀಹರಿಂ ಪರಮಂದೇಷ್ಟಾರೀಶ್ವರ ವ್ಯಾಪಕ ಸರ್ವೋಕಾಣ ತಮ್ಯಹಂ So in Aparokshanubhuti, we are towards the end of the text and we are studying Vedantic meditation. What is the context? In Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta, the path of knowledge, the process is, first you gain that knowledge, Shravana. Then clarify all doubts, gain, gain clarity, whatever questions the mind has about the knowledge that you have, you have gained. answers find answers to those questions gain clarity and then stabilize yourself in that knowledge often we find people saying that i i understand what is being taught here the main thing is how do i practice it in life or i get confused the moment i step outside the vedanta society again mm-hmm. that getting confused that not quite sure that shakiness for that reason the the those last two steps are there manana which is reasoning about it thinking it through getting the answers but that's not enough that still remains here at the level of the intellect that must must become a living philosophy and for that meditation nididhyasana this it's vedantic meditation and perhaps to distinguish this kind of meditation from everything else that's why shankaracharya has adopted a unique strategy here the strategy is he has picked up well known terms in meditation well at least they are well known to to those who practice meditation in, in yoga 15 terms 15 practices and he has used those terms he has changed or shifted the meaning of those terms uh, into vedantic meditation so familiar terms like sitting breathing um withdrawing the senses from the world those terms the terms of ashtanga yoga those terms have been taken and then a higher meaning an advaitic meaning has been given to them so that's what we have been seeing you feel that it's easy to understand the practices of the of the yoga but when you when it comes to vedanta it seems that all that shankaracharya wants to say is brahman whether it is yama or niyama there are so such a variety of practices in yoga but all shankaracharya wants to say is everything means brahman is it the difference one must notice the difference in the approach the yogic approach is action oriented you must do something the vedantic approach is knowledge oriented you must know it or realize it or acknowledge it recognize it understand it grasp it and be it action is dispensable if some action is helpful do it but action will not get you to it it's like this if um, if brahman this real nature the absolute is something different from you then you have to know this brahman god is something different from me 
So I have to meet this God. I have to know this God. I have to see this God. I have to make his or her or its acquaintance. If God is in some other place, then I have to do something. I have to go there. If God is in the temple or the church, I have to go there to meet God. If God is in Jerusalem or Vrindavan or, or Banaras, then I have to go there. If God is some other time after death, God, you will, I see these big hoardings. After death, you will meet God. Call 855 so and so for the truth. <laughs> so after death. So then I have to wait. I have to wait. So if God is something other than you, you have to do something to go and meet this God. If God is some, somewhere else, then you have to go there. If God is some when else, some other time, then you have to wait for that time. At a certain moment in history, when the world will come to an end, God will appear on this earth again. You have to wait. But suppose I say, God is right here. Then where will you have to go? God is right here. Where will you go? God is right now. You don't have to wait. And God is none other than you. You don't have to meet somebody else or see somebody else. If Brahman is right now, right here, and none other, none other than the real you, then where do you have to go? What will you have to wait for? Whom do you have to meet? What can action do? Where is God? Right here and everywhere. When is God? Right now and all the time. In what will you find God? In everything. In that case, you'll still say, yeah, but there's something to be done, right? Because otherwise, why are we here then? Yet yeah, the something that is to be done is to continuously point it out. Is to somehow act, to notice it. I'm trying to use different words. To recognize it. To find it. It doesn't even strike us what a tremendous claim this, these books make. That it, God is right here, right here, right now. Right here, right now. None other than the real you. Then if he says it's the real you, then now the only thing that remains to do is to make an inquiry about what do you mean by real me. Let's take a look into myself. God is permanently available to us. Brahman is permanently available to us. So that's why the approach here is not the yogic approach of doing something. What will yoga say? You have to sit like this. You have to breathe like this. You have to imagine like this. So th that appeals to a certain kind of mind. And is it useful? Very useful. It is very useful. We'll see how it is useful. We have been seeing all those practices are powerful practices and really, really useful practices. There's no doubt about it. But still, they're lower. There's no gaining the fact. There's no denying the fact that uh, they are lower practices. They are preliminary practices. You can't stop there. You can't say that I have learned to sit still and straight for one hour, two hours, or three hours at a stretch. That's great. That's commendable. That's creditable. But that's not enlightenment. So, a variety of practices. We're saying sitting, asana. 
And as an example, Shankaracharya took two kinds of asanas. Asanas of, of sitting. Asanas are various yogic postures, which are very well known all over the world now because of the popularity of Hatha Yoga. Uh, some of those asanas are meant for meditation. The basic idea is certain ways of sitting are useful for meditation. Um, he has taken two examples. He has taken Sukhasana and Siddhasana. We did that last time. So, basic idea in yogic meditation posture is you must not move. The more still you can make your body, the easier it is to meditate. Imagine a bowl of water full to the brim and you're holding that bowl of water. How still you have to be not to spill the water. You have to be even more still not to disturb the mind. The water in the bowl, it's like the mind is there inside us. So absolutely still. And hold that stillness for a long time. Not just still. There's a posture. We'll, we'll talk more about it later on. You have to sit straight, erect. Don't slouch. So what a posture, a seat which you can hold for a long time without moving, that is asana, for, that is useful for meditation. So two such, such postures Shankaracharya takes up. In 112 it was Sukhasana and 113 Siddhasana. And we saw Siddham Yat Sarvabhutadi Vishwadhishthanam Abhyayam Yasmin Siddha Samavishta Taddvai Siddhasanam Viduhu That is, in Vedanta what is Siddhasana? If you google it Siddhasana, I did, you will find all this very fit looking uh, person sitting in uh, excellent asana postures. So they will show you what is Siddhasana. But what does Shankaracharya mean? That in which all beings, the existence of all beings is. Siddham means the very existence of all beings. Siddham means established. So that in which all beings are established. That which is the ground, the very existence of the entire universe. What is that? That's Brahman. It's like saying, where is the, this altar, where is it established? In, in, in philosophy, there's a very, very interesting way of putting it. It's obviously established on the ground, but it is, they will say it is established in wood. Wood is the material in which this altar exists, right? Wood is the material in which the altar exists. So the altar is established in wood. Wood gives it its existence. It is Siddham, established in wood. So wood is the basic material of the existence of this altar. What is the basic material of, of this universe? Existence itself, being itself, Sat. Sat. Pure being. Easeness. So that's what gives existence to everything. That's what lends existence to everything in the universe. And it's nothing very strange. We all feel it. Before anything else, when you look around the world, one thing you feel whenever you come across anybody, anything, the first thing that is that strikes us is, it is. And we never notice it. The existence of something, we, we ignore it. We, get, we go straight ahead to what is it? Is it nice? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it friendly? Will it bite? So we immediately get into the differences 
the specifics samsara but behind everything the pleasant and the unpleasant then the known and the unknown behind everything first of all primarily primarily it exists it is vedanta draws our attention to that that is brahman in that the entire world is siddham established and what's more it's you you are that pure being so in you not only are is this little person established but the entire cosmos is established in you not the person you the entire cosmos is established in the awareness being which we are awareness chit being sat which we are so that is one meaning of siddhasana siddham means established in which asana the ground of the entire universe another meaning he has given siddhana masana where the the perfected one meaning is where the perfected ones sit so where do the perfected ones sit in india they will say on a deer skin on an armchair or a chair or or or, or do they sit in the himalayas no the perfected ones sit in brahman don't take it literally what does it mean the seat the asana which the perfected ones have siddha means perfected also enlightened ones what is their asana where do they sit they sit in the clear awareness i am brahman that is siddhasana if you are established in that aham brahmasmi then that is siddhasana not a particular yogic posture so this is the real meaning of siddhasana according to shankaracharya now next so this was i think the seventh practice do you remember the practices yama niyama tyaga mauna desha kala and then asana so yes seventh practice now we come to the eighth practice eighth of how many 15 there are 15 all of them are meant to establish us stabilize us in the knowledge of brahman that we are brahman so um the eighth one is called is called bandha or mula bandha let us see what is the original yogic meaning and what meaning does shankaracharya give what is the basic practice and what is the advanced practice verse number 114 yanmulam sarvabhutanam yanmulam sarvabhutanam yanmulam chittabandhanam yanmulam chittabandhanam mulabandha sada sevyo mulabandha sada sevyo yogyo sauraja yoginam yogyo sauraja yoginam so brahman which is the root of all existence and in on which the restraint of the mind is based is called the restraining root mulabandha which should be always be adopted since it is fit for raja yogins now we have to unpack this first of all what is mulabandha what is bandha in the yogic practice there are there are literally it means lock so certain locks those who practice hatha yoga asanas there are certain locks associated with it uh, locks of certain parts of the body so you hold your body or clench a particular muscle so these are called bandhas or locks 
what use is it they give integrity to your practice of yoga integrity they enhance the practice of the physical practice of the asanas so the your yoga teacher can tell you more about them i, I know the names of three well known bandhas there is uddhyana bandha there is jalandhara bandha this one which he has mentioned he has taken one example mula bandha mula bandha bandha means lock mula bandha means root lock so these are different locks of particular muscles in the body um which have benefits for hatha yoga practices your practices of the asanas the postures yogic postures are enhanced with these locks so there are particular muscles in the lower part of the body which are clenched during um yogic practice asana practice that will be called mula bandha the root lock now that's the yogic meaning but what is the uh, advaitic meaning yes brahman can't be anything else <laughs> now you know for sure but what's the purpose of saying everything is brahman the purpose is it gives us these 15 practices will give us 15 different ways of conceiving of thinking of establishing ourselves in brahman it's not just juggling with words and make, forcing everything to mean brahman they are actually techniques so now mula bandha what does he say mula means root uh-huh. so mula means root now immediately you know what shankaracharya is going to do mulam sarvabhutana the root of all entities in the universe so what is the root of all entities brahman so the root of all entities in the universe is brahman so in that sense mulam root means brahman in what sense root means in 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 the sense that um wood i can put, i can express it this way wood is at the root of all wooden furniture clay is at the root of root in the sense the source of all clay pots all all pottery pottery and so on water is the root of all waves and bubbles and foam in that sense i'm using the word root so existence itself this awareness existence bliss which is called which is brahman is the root of all beings so to lock yourself in that root in the awareness of that root that i am that so often brahman has been called the root of the tree of samsara in kathopanishad in uh, gita 15 chapter urdhamulam avakshakam ashvattham prahuravyayam that's one chapter of the gita which all the monks know you know why the reason is in the himalayas when the monks are fed bhiksha food is offered so you have to chant that chapter before you eat so yes and if you and if you uh, mumble or try to evade they look at you with suspicion ah so you don't know that chapter chapter we usually don't in our ashrams we usually do only brahmat pranam one verse from the fourth chapter but there is an ashram in fact the um sarada peet uh, our ashram in near belurmat in that um, ashram the 15th chapter is chanted before food 
So everybody there, all the monks who joined the order at Saradabit, they chant this chapter. So 15th chapter, it starts, why am I mentioning this? It starts, the first verse starts with, this entire universe, cosmos is, is compared to a tree whose roots are above. Usually where are the roots? Down below, below the earth. But the roots of samsara are above. Above not mean, does not mean physically above. It's not in outer space or something. Above means it's subtle, sukshma. This gross universe is rooted in a subtle universe. And the subtle one is rooted in the causal one. And the causal one is rooted in Brahman. So sthula in sukshma, sukshma in karana. All of this in that one existence consciousness place. So Brahman is the mulam, God, Brahman, whatever you call it, the absolute, is the root of all existence. Then Bandha, he says, Bandha, Bandha means a lock, um, also it might mean discipline, they're related. Where you fix your mind, the word used is Chitta Bandhanam. Now, there are two ways of interpreting this. One straightforward way is where we concentrate the mind. In spiritual practice, you concentrate the mind on God. That, that's supposed to be the, the, uh, the point of meditation. So where all this meditation, the whole purpose of this meditation is to realize God. So the chitta mandhanam, the focal point of concentration is what? Brahman. So in that sense, where you lock the mind, that sense also is a Brahman. So root is Brahman and Bandha is also Brahman. Another sense of the word Bandha means bondage. Bondage. Um, our being sense of being trapped in samsara. So that sense is also taken by the commentator Vidyaranya. I told you last time Vidyaranya Swami has written a nice Sanskrit commentary on this. So there he gives a second meaning for the word Bandha. Chitta Bandhana. Chitta Bandha. That's the word used here. It could also mean, in Sanskrit is uh, multiple meanings you can derive from the same word. So another meaning would be the bondage of the mind. What is the bondage of the mind in Vedanta? What's our bondage? What's the root cause of our problems? Ignorance, yes. So the ignorance of the mind... Ignorance of the mind is because Maya has two powers. You remember the veiling power and the projecting power? So because of the veiling power of, Brahm, of, of uh, Maya, we are unable to realize that we are Brahman. Where am I leading with this? That veiling power of Maya is referred to by the word Chitta Bandha. The bondage of the mind. The bondage of the mind is ignorance. And what is this ignorance? It is the veiling power of Maya. And where does Maya exist? In Brahman. Standard Vedanta. So Maya exists in, Bra uh, in Brahman. So Chitta Bandhanam also means Brahman. Now you have got three meanings. What is the original term being explained? Mula Bandha. Which is a simple locking of a particular muscle in yoga practice, in asana. But in Vedanta, three meanings he has already given you. Mulam means Brahman, the root of the universe. Chitta Bandhanam means the focal point of all your spiritual disciplines, especially meditation, which is Brahman. 
Another meaning of Chitta Bandhanam is the bondage of the mind, which is ignorance, which is a product of, which is because of Maya, and Maya rests in Brahman. So again, that means Brahman. So Mula Bandha means Brahman, and he says, Sada Sevya, always be established in this, always be aware of this. Aware means always recognize this, keep this awareness. Why? It's a fit practice. Yogya so. It's a fit practice for whom? Not yogis, Raja yogis. He says the, the kings among the yogis, by that he means the jnanis. Now, here can, there's sufficient scope of confusion here because Swami Vivekananda translated the Patanjala Yoga Sutra and published his famous book Raja Yoga, which was, by the way, for many of us, I think, for me at least, was the first book of Swami Vivekananda which I ever read. Um, the famous, and it was published from here, from our Vedanta Society in New York. So, um, and he called it Raja Yoga. But he called Patanjali Yoga Raja Yoga. Here Shankaracharya is calling Jnana Yoga, Advaita Vedanta Raja Yoga. So that term is used in a different sense. But basically what he means is, this is the Mulabandha which is fit for Raja Yogis. The other Mulabandha is fit for ordinary Yogis, Hatha Yogis. But for Raja Yogis, for the Jnanis, this is the Mulabandha. Not clenching this muscle or that muscle. Then 115. The next practice, which is the ninth practice, I think. Isn't it? Which is... Um, Sharirastiti, Anganam Samata, which means um, poise of the body or posture of the body. Usually this is part of asana, how you sit for meditation. But here it's discussed separately, how you hold the body during meditation. So that is going to be discussed here. First the yogic approach and then the Vedantic approach, which you know is going to be Brahman of course. Anganam samatam vidyat Anganam samatam vidyat Same brahmani leenatam Same brahmani leenatam Noche naiva samanatvam Noche naiva samanatvam Rijutvam shushka vrikshavat Rijutvam shushka vrikshavat so deep absorption in the uniform Brahman is the equipoise of the limbs. The Sanskrit term is Dehasamya. Dehasamya means evenness of the body, which literally means straight, holding the body straight. Dehasamya. Otherwise, mere straightening of the body like that of a dried up tree is, is no equipoise. Okay, now what's the point here? What's, what's going on here? First, the basic yogic practice. It has been noticed by the yogis that how you hold your body has an effect on the mind. Body, breath, mind. Annamaya kosha, pranamaya kosha, manomaya kosha. They are related. How you hold the body, the condition of the body will have its effect on your breathing and your physical posture and your breathing will have its effect on your mind.
if I slouch, it's impossible to think of high and ennobling thoughts in this kind of a posture. Try to think, I am Brahman, I am one with God, like this. No, you can't. I am courageous, that thing like this. No, you can't. I'm so happy. You can't do that. You, all positive thoughts, you will see that it's connected with the straightening up of the body. So holding the spine erect and the neck and the head in one, uh, in alignment with the spine. And this is exactly what Krishna tells Arjuna. In the Gita, 6th chapter of the Gita, where he teaches meditation to Arjuna, Krishna tells Arjuna, sit straight. <laughs> we had one Swami who would teach meditation to the little kids. And his, his uh, um, instructions were less like a meditation teacher, more like a, um, like a drill sergeant in boot camp or something. He would say, sit straight. Sit <laughs> straight. Agband, eyes closed. <laughs> so, like, like a drills on the, on the parade field. But the point is, you have to sit straight. Hold the spine, the chest, neck, head in one in alignment. So, that is actually Deha Samya in the yogic sense. And it is very useful for meditation. Why? Physically, it has effects. Uh, it allows the free flow of breath properly. It's good for health. Yeah. Nowadays, desk jobs, computer jobs, there's something called repetitive stress injury and it's very common. I think no more so than it will be in, in Manhattan. There are people sitting at their desks. Yeah. One gentleman told me that my, my job, the whole sum and substance of my job is, I look, I have six computer monitors on my desk. And I said, oh, six. I said, Swami, that's nothing unusual. Most people in the office have like that. And throughout the morning till night, I have to stare at them. That's the whole, whole thing about my job. So, posture is important. Otherwise, it leads to bad health. And posture is very important for meditation. You cannot have meditation with bad posture. But here Shankaracharya says, so, so here the, the idea was Deha Samyam, evenness of body is to how to hold your body during meditation. But in Advaita, of course, you know, uh, evenness, the whole posture of the body, equipoise of the limbs means Brahman. Now how does he do that? He says, Anganam Samatam Vidyat Same Brahmani Leenatam. What is evenness of the body? It is merging the body with Brahman. How do you do that? The, it is in understanding. Know that the body is nothing other than five elements. What is this body? Space and air and fire and water and earth. Akasha, Vayu, Agni, Apa, Prithvi. Or if you are taking a modern approach, all the elements which of it which it is made. Now these five elements, they are nothing other than Brahman. It is Brahman alone with these names and forms. Upanishads say, Tasmadva etasmad atmana akasha sambhuta. From this very Atman, with this very Brahman, which is Atman, the, the absolute, the the space appeared. What do you mean space appeared? Brahman, which is existence, that itself due to Maya appears with the space name and form. So space is 
isness belongs to Brahman and what we call space is actually a name and form and function imposed by Maya. So all the elements are actually at their core none other than Brahman. The elements which go to make this body are none other than Brahman. All of it. Knowing this is evenness of posture of the body. But a deeper meaning is there. Same Brahmani Leenatam. Merge every experience into the, he says, a uniform Brahman or the homogeneous Brahman or the one Brahman which is constant and unchanging. You see, samsara, samsara is bheda, difference. Difference is samsara. Seeing the one reality behind all difference, that is enlightenment. What is the one reality? Existence, consciousness, bliss. Whether high or low, rich or poor, learned or ignorant, nice or naughty, pleasant or unpleasant, whatever it is, in health and in disease and in despair, see the one reality behind all of them. And these are superficialities. These are like waves on top of an ocean, on the surface of an ocean, which goes 20,000 feet below. There's 20,000 feet of water below the stormy surface of the ocean. So the stormy surface of life, desire and frustration, um, I like this person, I don't like this person, I want to be like that person, I'm jealous of that person, I dislike this other person, I'm contemptuous of that person, I love this one and I dislike that one. All of this is at the surface. The reality behind everyone and everything, the devotee says, it is my Rama, my Krishna or Christ behind everybody. The jnani says, it is that existence consciousness bliss which I am. The isness, the consciousness which I am. In that all beings, all beings are in that consciousness and this consciousness is in all beings. I am one with everybody, no barrier between me and anything else. They are all in me, I am in all of them. Then you see the oneness behind everybody. The Gita says, Krishna says to Arjuna, enlightened person, who is an enlightened person? The one who sees that a learned person and a most uncultured instinctive person, an elephant and a dog, all of them sees all of them to be one reality, none other than God. In the Gita it is said, Krishna says that. So that is, Evenness. That is evenness. Samadrishti. Samadrishti means evenness. But, but a devotee also gets it. A jnani also gets it. You know the story of how um, Swami Vivekananda in one of his experiences in the court of a king, he was invited to attend a musical program where a baiji, a, a, a singer, she would sing a musical performance and he said I'm a monk I cannot attend such a program and he stalked out but then she sang this beautiful song Lord Samadrishti O Lord this evenness of vision the seeing the same reality everywhere this is your name one is uh, water which is Ganga water which is used in puja one is water in the ditch but they are both same in, from in your vision. 
one is metal which is worshipped in an image other one metal which is worship, which is used in the kitchen or somewhere else but it's the same thing samadrishti and she sang with so much uh, heartfelt agony that do not look upon my faults and then vivekananda came back and sat down and listened to the song and uh, said that i'm sorry that uh, i uh, that he was not seeing the one reality you seeing on the surface so the one reality behind all differences once a crazy looking monk came to dakshineshwar the kali temple and sri ramakrishna told his uh, nephew riday who was serving him look that's an enlightened person and the riday thought oh that's an enlightened person wow let me get some instruction from him how to get enlightenment but this man was was crazy he's one of the crazy men of god and when he was walking away from the kali temple riday chased him trying to get some kind of advice and the man would try to drive riday away but riday was uh, uh, adamant and finally he said to riday you see the water in this ditch and the water in the ganges when they both are same water in this drain and the water in the ganges you see the one reality behind all of them they are same to you then then you know you have realized god that he calls shankaracharya calls that is real evenness not he says in one of his mischievous <laughs> he says not not sitting straight like a dried stump of a tree of a dead tree shushka vriksha a dead tree or a dried tree you see lots of them now no leaves just straight like that how how is how is that equal to evenness of the of posture first of all it's straight so it's like this second it doesn't move so for these two reasons as compared to a dry stump of a uh, tree sitting like that is not evenness of posture seeing god in everybody is evenness of posture and that should be practiced now next 116 this this practice is drishti the eyes where shall you keep the eyes we'll see now 100 shankaracharya gives two verses here two meanings two practices i mean same practice but two alternatives here 116 drishtim yanamayim kritva ृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदारृष्टिपरमोदार
the eyes what you are doing with your eyes has a tremendous effect on the mind the eyes are the ones which take up maximum amount of cognitive capacity of our, our brains so if your eyes are open a good deal of processing power of the cpu here goes in processing what's coming in through the eyes that's why it's advisable to close the eyes in meditation so most people close the eyes in meditation but the problem of closing the eyes in meditation is you know sleep <laughs> two problems one is sleep one is the mind gets engaged gets is free to engage itself in many thoughts because now you're not looking at the world in front so your mind is set free from that starts thinking of many things so scattered mind one problem sleepy mind another problem moment you close your eyes the mind thinks ah time to sleep you'll have a z z z z no <laughs> that's one problem or the other problem is the mind starts thinking of many things that's why the yogis devised an in between way you don't get scattered you don't get sleepy and yet you don't get disturbed by the world also if you keep your eyes wide open then you cannot meditate because you'll be seeing what's in front of you and your brain will be strongly engaged in that so what they did was fix your eyes on something and don't look anywhere else one of the, uh, the one advice the hatha yogis give is fix it at the tip of your nose nasagra means at the tip of the nose so you look down you're not looking ahead and out and yet you have not closed your eyes so that's a good practice and the great meditators they naturally do it in fact if you look at vivekananda's picture that seems to be where it's automatic he's in samadhi but that seems to be where the eyes are fixed so not looking out yet not closed also and this is something that krishna told arjuna after telling him to sit straight and meditate in this way control all the sense organs and specifically mentions the eyes krishna mentions the eyes to arjuna sampreksha nasika grangswam keep your vision directed on the tip of your nose now yogis they will debate this endlessly what constitutes the tip of the nose just by by the way is this the tip of the nose or is this the agra means beginning edge so it literally does not mean if it tip of the nose in english is pretty self explanatory here but in a sanskrit nasagra means here or here because some yogis will try to meditate here don't try it will get cross eyed very soon so the point is not to get entangled in all those things pick a point and keep your eyes there that helps in meditation if you do these things like sitting steady and straight try not to move at all then keep the eyes focused in one place try not to look anywhere else evenness of breathing you will see even before you have started your meditation half your work has been done mind has become calm what most people make a mistake is they jump straight into meditation sit okay i'm going to start meditating big mistake the body is still disturbing the mind the eyes are still taking away part of your attention so things are going on which are disturbing the mind you are going straight to the mind to to control it the yogis knew that's not a good idea first control the body then the posture then the evenness of breathing then the eyes then go inside
So this is the Hatha Yoga practice. Useful, very useful. Very useful, certainly. If you don't like focusing on the tip of your nose, you can focus on something else. A picture, an image, a symbol like Om or something. Whatever you find. Even could be a candle flame, a dot on the wall, anything. Uh, yoga has, has a variety of things you can focus your eyes on. The thing is to keep the vision steady. Now what does Shankaracharya say? He says, real drishti. Drishti means focusing of the vision. The vision, the real vision is vision of Brahman. Yes, now you are all good Vedantins. But vision of Brahman, not vision of your nose. You are supposed to meditate on Brahman, not your nose. So what is that? He says, Drishtim Jnanamayim, a very beautiful line. Drishtim Jnanamayim Kritva Pashyed Brahmamayam Jagat. Convert your vision into the vision of knowledge. Jnanamayi Drishti, vision of knowledge. And then what will happen? You will see, what will you see? You will see the world, but you will see the world pervaded by Brahman. How, how does that work? It's like this. You don't have to imagine Brahman. Follow this carefully. Here there is this altar, there's this lectern, there's a um, table. Hopefully it's made of wood. Yes. Now, if you say, yeah, here is a chair. Now you, you say that I can see so many things. There is um, an altar, one, uh, the lectern, one, altar, two, chair, three, table, four. Four things I can easily see there. But if I say, look at it as wood. Then how many things are there? One, One wood. Uh, that's wood, this is wood, this is wood, this is also wood. Now this is wood drishti. <laughs> this is not Vedanta drishti, wood drishti. What happens is, you are looking through the name and form and function. That is a different name, lectern. This is a different name, altar. This is called chair. This is called table. It's a different form. That looks different. This looks different and they are different. They have different functions. Nama, Rupa, Vyavahara. Name, form, function. Different. You have to look through that. It's like X-ray vision. It's like X-ray vision. You have to look through the name and the form and the function and go to the substance itself. Yeah. The, 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 the material itself. Similarly, when you look at the world, look through the name and form and function and go to the material itself, go to the reality behind it itself. What is the reality? Isness. When you look at the world outside, existence itself. If you look at the name and form, friend, enemy, frenemy. <laughs> you understand it in the US, many people will not understand. Friend and enemy together. I like, I dislike, I am indifferent. All are names and forms and functions. Behind all of them, one existence shining forth. That is Brahman. How do you know that? You have to make your, just like wood, you, your vision, you changed it from name, form and function to the wood. Here you change your vision from name, form and function to the isness. Keep your vision on that. You are seeing the same thing. When you have eyes, you will see the form. But you are noticing the isness. When you close your eyes, 
thoughts are coming all kinds of thoughts desires frustrations hopes memories feelings good feelings bad feelings pleasant feelings unpleasant feelings anxieties all of them come they arise exist and disappear in the awareness in the consciousness keep your vision on the consciousness no matter what thought comes what emotion comes that is drishtim gyanamayam krutva so penetrate through the name and form to the reality behind one monk i met in haridwar he he had for the first time he didn't he didn't know what an x-ray was first time it was shown to him he was so excited that here is a light he told us oh monks i saw a light whose rays penetrate through the skin and the blood and the flesh and go straight to the bones your vision oh monks these are his words mahatma ki drishti aisi honi chahiye your vision should be like that not that you should see every, everybody is a skeleton <laughs> though that is actually a buddhistic meditation practice uh, to see that uh, uh, you know what we really are so he said the monk's vision should be like that how don't notice you can you'll see you cannot avoid seeing the the features of the person don't see the name and the form and the particular relationship you have with that person those things will appear to you all right but see that person as that one consciousness which you yourself are you are one with all of them it one satchidananda if you are if you are a devotee see your beloved lord your krishna or your christ in everybody and keep your vision there not on the surface likable person dislikable person loved person stranger no isn't it imagination it may seem so at first but actually that is fact what we are seeing now is imagination is delusion it's delusion yes Yes. Yes. And then look through or beyond them and see that they are all existing in consciousness. True. So our this existence does existence mean the existence existence of consciousness? So are what are we looking through to? You're looking at consciousness or existence or are they the All right. The question is when we look through the names and forms and said you look at consciousness within and when you look at it outside existence. Why? Uh, one reason is one is a practical reason. I understand what your question is. Your question is are they same or are we trying to look at the existence of consciousness? First of all, why did I say when you look outside you try to notice and keep your attention on the isness of things? Because consciousness is not so evident in things outside consciousness is evident only in one place for each of us in our own minds isn't it are you with me here consciousness i'm using the word indifferently awareness sentience uh, intelligence intelligence not a good word consciousness the light within which lights up our life that we find only within but in all the things that we experience all the people that we experience everything we first of all experience them as existing 
So what I'm saying is, focus your mind on the isness. You will notice the differences, and you'll be able to function in life no problem. But very soon you will notice that isness is not outside. That isness is lent to these entities by the isness inside, and this isness inside is not different from the awareness inside. So that's why a good term would be isness awareness. I just invented it. Being consciousness, sat chit. If you look at pure consciousness, try it now. You are looking. You are seeing so many things. Are you aware? Don't feel confident. Are you seeing? Literally seeing. Yes, I am seeing. Unless you've got your eyes closed. So I am seeing. Are you aware? Yes. If I close my eyes, if you close your eyes, you are not seeing anymore, right? Right? But are you aware? Yes. Are you there? Yes. Suppose now you cannot hear, you cannot smell anything, you cannot taste anything, you cannot touch anything. Okay? It would be a pretty dark world, but are you still there? Yes. Hmm? So, now suppose there are no thoughts. Suppose you forget your name. You can't remember your name. Are you still there? Yes. You forget your past. Before you came in through the door, what was there, who you were, where you live. Suppose nothing is coming to memory anymore. Are you still there? Yes. Hmm? Yes. Feelings. Pleasant, unpleasant, anger, peace. Suppose all of them stop. No thoughts, no memories, no ideas. Of course, no sensations, they have long gone. Still there? What is that awareness? You see, all of these other things, thoughts, memories, emotions, sensations, Perceptions, they are like apps, which you can play on your smartphone. But without the apps also, the smartphone exists completely, in itself, perfectly. The apps just enable it to do more things. All the apps, without the smartphone, nothing. Without that awareness, is seeing possible? That awareness, which was there, in the absence of everything, everything else. No memories, no ideas, no thoughts, no understanding, no remembering, no forgetting, no seeing, hearing, smelling, touching, tasting. Awareness still there. Without that awareness, seeing is possible. No. Tasting, thinking, desiring, anger, love. Nothing is possible without that. The universe will grow dark for you immediately. That awareness, that is the being consciousness I am talking about, isness awareness. Everything else gets its, you, be, you become aware of everything else because of that and they get their existence from that. That is what you are at the core of your being. Everything else is added on to it after that.
objects in the dream exist hmm. in my consciousness? In the in the dreamer's mind, let us say. Correct. So, likewise, but I'm trying. If, if I ask this question, am I conscious because I exist, or do I exist because I'm conscious? Ah, <laughs> you have come to the fundamental question in philosophy. Am I conscious because I exist? Or do I exist because I'm conscious? Descartes. Cogito yeah. <laughs> uh, ergo sum. The beginning of modern Western philosophy. I exist because I think. Uh, I think, therefore I exist. Cogito. I think, therefore I exist. He said, one thing you cannot deny is that you are thinking. Descartes said. I can deny everything else. Everything else might be a hoax. Today, it might, we might call it a virtual reality. How do I know? But that I am experiencing something, I am thinking something, that I cannot deny. It may be a true thing or a false thing. Maybe waking, maybe dreaming. But I am experiencing something. So I, I think, therefore I exist. That joke I have told you earlier also. Descartes is sitting in a Parisian cafe. And this girl comes up and offers him uh, coffee. More coffee, Monsieur, Monsieur Descartes. And Descartes says, I think not. And he disappears. <laughs> I think, therefore I exist. So I think not. The Vedantin would say, I exist, therefore I think. Even thinking is a second order thing. Did you notice just now? If you stop all kinds of thinking, are you still there? Mm. It might, if you straight away ask that question, many people might think that, no, I'm not there. But if you take it step by step, stop hearing, stop seeing, stop smelling, stop tasting, uh, stop sensing, stop uh, feeling, then you go into the subtler and subtler functions, memory, everything you stop. You're still there. Something is there. Uh, it's not zero. You don't disappear. That is, so the answer to that is, Vedanta would say, do I, am I conscious because I exist? Or do, am, am I, uh, do I exist because I'm conscious? Clearly consciousness uh, and existence must go together. Because consciousness without existence would be a non, non-existent consciousness. Correct? So existence is prior. Existence is prior. But that existence of which no awareness is there, you couldn't even speak of such an existence. Who knows? So existence also to be of any kind, to enter into discourse of any sort, must be involved with consciousness somehow. I'm making a very subtle logical point here. You cannot divorce existence from consciousness. We think they are two separate things. Do you know why we think they are two separate things? These are very profound um, philosophical matters. The reason is we base our understanding on the waking state. I see, the simple thing, I see Consciousness is here. And of course I exist. That chair, I don't see consciousness there, but existence I see there. So a thing can exist without being conscious. I exist and I am conscious, no doubt. But that thing can exist without being conscious. That's my waking state experience. And so I think consciousness and existence can exist separately. Consciousness cannot be separate from existence. Otherwise what will happen? Ah. No Suppose, can you even conceive of a non-existent consciousness? 
not unconscious non existent consciousness means doesn't exist at all so consciousness cannot exist without con- um, uh, exist a consciousness cannot exist without existence it is a truism but can a thing exist without consciousness we think so we think so normally we think so that's why we think consciousness and existence are two separate things but take the dream example in the dream example it's your conscious mind which imagines everything in the dream conscious beings in the de- dream and insentient beings in the dream rocks and lakes and uh, cars and buildings in your dream are nothing but your conscious mind true when you wake up you realize it was everything there was imagined in my mind there was no car there was no road uh, i'm giving a very ancient example in the brihadaranyaka upanishad it is said in my dream there were no roads there were no chariots so in manhattan no chariots but you have suvs in your dream there were none of them but yet all of them you saw them so what did you actually see your mind only now what vedanta wants to say is in the waking world also whatever you are seeing is not a mind is not mind but it's rather consciousness consciousness alone appears in all these forms to answer your question directly am i conscious because i exist or am i do i exist because i'm conscious vedanta says existence consciousness is one entity you are awareness being sat chit and also ananda that comes later this is drishtim gyanamayam kritva see just like seeing wood in all wooden furniture see existence in all beings then you will directly see brahman everywhere in what will you see brahman in everything where will you see brahman everywhere when will you see brahman all the time how much effort do you have to do do you have to sit straight and breathe like this no you can sit straight recommended you can slouch whatever you do you will still see brahman what does it take it takes only knowledge it takes just recognition nothing other than recognition nothing more nothing less than recognition it's continuously available to you okay consider this i'll throw this at you this another monk in the himalayas pointed out a simple fact what is remembering what is imagination and what is experiencing what you have experienced in the past but you are not experiencing now you can only remember it you can use memory when you use memory what does it mean i remember the river ganga which i saw in front of in our monastery in calcutta am i experiencing it am i seeing it or remembering it remembering, remembering it why because i can't see it i imagine krishna in my heart the beautiful form of krishna am i seeing krishna remembering krishna or imagining krishna imagining, imagining. what is imagining something that you have not experienced so you can't remember it but you have read about it somebody has told you about it described it now with an effort of imagination you're trying to construct it in your mind that's imagination okay in sanskrit anubhava smarana kalpana in english experience memory or remembrance and imagination 
What is devotion? I remember the beautiful form of the image of Sri Ramakrishna in the main monastery. I'm actually doing it now. I'm remembering the form of the of the image in the temple in Belurmat. What is that? Remembering. Can I say I'm seeing it? No. I'm remembering it. I've seen it earlier, but I'm remembering it. I am trying to create the image of Durga or Krishna in my heart in a lotus. I imagine a lotus. and So this is imagination. I'm not seeing it. But this book which is in front of me right now, do I need to remember it? Do I need to imagine it? I say I'm imagining a book. Swami, you're seeing it. Aren't you seeing it? Yes. You don't need to imagine. Why? Because you are seeing it. You don't need to remember it. Why? Because you are seeing it. This is experience. This is seeing. It's available to you, then you can see it. You'll say, yeah, yeah, I get it. Go on. What's your point? My point is this, and a tremendous point it is. When he talks about Drishti, what he says, Brahman, you don't have to remember God. You don't have to imagine God. You have to see God. Why? What do you mean? You all look puzzled. We are seeing again and again God is present right here. The book is present right here. Do I have to imagine it? No. That's crazy to say that I have to imagine the book. It's right here. See it. Say, Swami, open your eyes and see it. Do I have to remember it? No. In path of devotion you are told, always remember God. In the path of knowledge you are told, just see God. Vivekananda said, don't try to see God, see God. It's easier said than done. Why? What's the difficulty? The difficulty here is the book is an object of vision. I can open my eyes and see it. If it's a sound, I can use my ears and hear it. But God, as you, Brahman, is it visible? No. Can you hear it, smell it, touch it, taste it, grasp it? No. Then what do you mean by seeing God? When, when Advaita says you can see Brahman right now, see it. No need to remember, no need to imagine. The only way you can, what is meant here is, is knowledge. It's continuously available, it is shining forth all the time without any break, effortlessly available to all of us. It is your own very existence. It is the very awareness, we just saw it now, it is the very awareness with which you see everything else. That shining, everything else shines. Is the world shining to you now? Here, shining means you can see it. It's a poetic way of saying that I can see the world. The world is shining to you because first of all, that awareness at the core of your being, that shining, everything else shines. By its light, everything is lit up. Tameva bhantam anubhati sarvam tasya bhasa sarvamidam vibhati Katha Upanishad, Mundaka Upanishad. There the sun does not shine, nor the moon, nor the lightning, what to speak of. The sun and the stars and the moon cannot illumine that. Nor lightning, nor our mere mortal fire. But, is it enveloped in darkness? No, 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 just the opposite. 
that shining, everything else shines. By its light, everything is lit up. I am not talking about anything theoretical. It's the most obvious thing in all our lives. It's that consciousness which I just led you to right, right now. It's there. And because of it, you are able to hear my words. Because of it, if you open my, your eyes, you are able to see the world. Because of it, you can think. Because of it, you can remember who you are. Because of it, you can get angry. Because of it, you can love. Because of it, you can study Vedanta. You can enjoy, you can suffer, you live, you die. All because of that immortal light within you. That light is God. When they say, Tat Tvam Asi, in the Upanishads, that thou art. What a radical statement it is. You know what it means? That consciousness within you, that is God. You are that consciousness, which means you are not the mind. The mind is a cloud that floats in the bright blue sky of that consciousness. It comes and goes. You are not the body. The body is a matter of few days. Born, grows, ages, decays, dies, gone. Here today, gone tomorrow. Completely unfazed how many bodies we have used and given up. You are not the body, not even the mind, not even the most elevated Vedantic thoughts. So you are that consciousness, you are not the body-mind. And even more radical, there is no God, no Shiva, no Vishnu, no Durga, no Kali, no Ramakrishna, Krishna or Christ apart from that consciousness which is you. This is the radical statement, the tremendous claim of Advaita Vedanta. Krishna says in the Gita, it's there, we, don't, we chant it, we don't know what we are chanting. Krishna says in the 13th chapter of the Gita, in every one of us there is that knowing consciousness. Kshetra Gyamcha, he says, um, Idam Shariram Kaunteya Kshetra Mitya Vidhiyate Etadyo Veti Kshetra Gyamtang Prahutadvida this body is the field, within each field is the knower of the field. Then what am I? Next verse, a stunning verse. Kshetragyam chapimam viddhi sarva kshetreshu bharata. O Arjuna, know me, God. Krishna is speaking as God. Know God to be that consciousness within you and all beings. Vivekananda said, the only God I know and I worship is the sum total of all human souls, all, all souls, all living souls. That consciousness in everybody. That shining, everything else shines. Every day, today also, we sing the hymn, Arati to Sri Ramakrishna. At the end, do you know what we sing? We call Sri Ramakrishna, you are the light within our hearts. Ujala Ridikandara. The light within our hearts, that shining, everything else shines. The, the, um, the ground of all our, our speech, beyond speech, beyond thought, and yet the ground of all our speech and thought. Because of which speech is possible, because of which thought is possible. I'm not speaking in riddles, I pointed it out straight to you. No more straight pointing can be available than this. Okay, we've got two questions and time is also up. I can go on and on. Yes, first you and then we go to... You speak of this experience. Yes. Now, is this experience, let me present you two alternatives. It may be neither of them, but... On the one hand, you, you know these puzzle pictures. It, it looks like an old hag 
ಫಿಫ್ಟೀನ್ಸ್ಲಿ you see through that is the meaning of seeing through it falls into place suddenly and one of the science is it does so permanently once you walk through that door there's no walking back it will haunt you in your waking and your dreams also not in deep sleep so it's there it's permanent and the sign of um, that you have really done it is that you cannot drive it away no it's so bright and so uh, unmistakable no doubt can affect you anymore after that and in the light of that you can interpret every scripture with all the scriptures are written about that okay so it's the first one what about the transcendental experience samadhi that's very important that requires cultivating the mind and immersing it again and again in this experience otherwise what will happen is you will know it you will understand it and it will give you a peace of mind but it will not revolutionize your life you, you, you don't go from being a sadhaka to a siddha sri ramakrishna again and again pointed out that it must be brought down to our life vivekananda said that religion is the manifestation of the divinity already within us if you see the trick picture you have, you have knowledge of the divinity already within you but manifestation requires it to become a living reality for you at every moment in our talking vivekananda said my only mission in life can be put in a few words my mission in life can be put in a few words it is to preach unto humanity their inner divinity and how to make it manifest in every movement of life that requires that sadhana that uh, immersing yourself again and again in that samadhi uh, both are in a in a complete system both will be necessary some people can make the breakthrough to that trick picture and see it first but then they will seriously feel the need of the second one other people they work their way up to that deep absorption and then the trick picture immediately becomes uh, clear so they are closely connected very good question beautiful question last question and we have really gone over time Yes. How, how can I say that it exists beyond my life? Just now you saw that. Just now you saw that. Two examples I'll give. One is every night we have deep sleep. Consider the experience in deep sleep. Try to recreate it now. We just now we tried to recreate it. It shows you the possibility of your own existence without thought. Without perception. your question then will be oh but that's because there's a living body here and the brain but all that is your assumption 
we are we are convinced that first of all we are bodies with consciousness now you are asking the question if the body is destroyed where will consciousness be but that very assumption itself is being challenged are you consciousness working through a body or a body which is generating consciousness if your body which is generating consciousness then with the death of the body everything is finished Ah, right. This last thing is it requires some subtle thinking. See, this is the mind trying to understand consciousness. The relative trying to understand the absolute. You can never do it. You see that I should know something before birth and after death. Right now, we saw a state that is possible where the mind can completely stop functioning. and yet when you when the mind starts functioning it is forced to acknowledge i was still there when the mind was not functioning that itself is good enough stay there try to recreate for example the experience of deep sleep in in the waking as a thought experiment your mind is functioning intellect is functioning sort of create a virtual space in your mind and try to see what will it like to be in deep sleep you see you cannot deny your existence there but there will be no thought there there will be no understanding also that's why the intellect rebels i can't understand it you tell the intellect you don't have to you are a grandchild i am consciousness my child is the anandamaya kosha and its child is vigyanamaya kosha you're trying to understand your grandfather you cannot keep quiet tell the intellect <laughs> intellect mind senses are apps meant to deal with the world and they are powered by you the consciousness beyond mind beyond speech and yet that which powers mind and speech do you see what i'm pointing it can only be pointed out but because it is you if you accept it once these practices will help you help us to stabilize ourselves there we'll stop here शातिशाशाते हरि ओ तत्सत्मकृष्णारुपणमस्तु या आई नो इट्स वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग आई कुड सी पीपल रेडी टू गो ऑन एंड ऑन वेरी गुड